So this morning we're going to look at a couple passages of scripture um, in the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought first it might be helpful to just review a little bit about some of the key points of Sermon on the Mount as we dive into this, because I don't know if anybody else found this. This is challenging scripture to kind of get through. So um, some thoughts, some themes that we need to really kind of look at through the through the glass here. Um, it's important to remember through these teachings that the entire Sermon on the Mount is identified to be a contrast between Christ followers and the world. So this is what we're, we're to look like versus what uh, um, the rest of the world looks like. So at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus began announcing the good news that the kingdom of God was at hand. He had come. It was time to live under the reign of God's love and his peace, um, his joy and his hope. All of it was there. And in order to live under the reign of the kingdom of God, people, including us, um, need to repent. We need to turn from sin and turn to God so that we can live under the authority of God um, and his word and his spirit. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing what life in the kingdom looks like as a Jesus follower. What life was to look like for us and for those who had repented from sin and turned to God. Um, And we also need to go back to that overarching theme that Jesus keeps emphasizing in this is the importance of the condition of our hearts. So this is perfect for Valentine's Day. (laughs) This is all about our hearts. So that will help us keep that in mind. Um, so when our hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ, our lives are going to look different. Uh, they're going to look really different than what the rest of the world looks like. Um, so when we have Jesus, our hearts are going to live, they're going to move, they're going to act, they're going to think as people who are under God's rule. Um, and that's going to be different than people who are not under God's rule. So the question then is, are we going to do it perfectly? Of course we're not. Um, but we're going to journey from now until the end of our lives, um, leaning on God and asking him to change us and transform us. And he promises to do that work so we can trust that, that he's going to continue to make us more like himself. The Sermon on the Mount is the mission statement for all of us as Christ followers to live and do things God's way. Um, and again, it just keeps pointing us back to the righteousness of the heart. This isn't a checklist or if I do this, then I've done enough. Um, it's a matter of allowing God access to your open heart, our open hearts. So in this passage we're studying today, Matthew 5, 21 through 30, we're going to see that Jesus is highlighting, he's expounding and detailing the true message and the true meaning of the sixth and seventh commandments given to Moses thousands of years ago. And he's going to use these two particular commandments sort of as demonstrations of God's intention um, over his entire law. So I thought maybe what we could do today is start by reading the Ten Commandments together. I know it'll be familiar, but it's always good to go back. Um, The Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20. So, oh, oh, perfect. (laughs) Need a bookmark. Oh, I left mine at home. I know. Perfect. Thank you. We'll share this. That's perfect. That's perfect. So when all else falls, turn to Peggy and she will have a wonderful bookmark for all of us. Okay. Um, so it, if we're comfortable, if you're not, you can just say pass, but let's just go around the table and each, each read one together. So, all right, I can start. You shall have no other gods before me. You not 
<laughs> you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not mis misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Boy, was that perfect. All ten of us, all the way around the table. That was perfect. Okay. So these are familiar scriptures to, to most of us. Um, at least we kind of, even non-Christians seem to have kind of a working knowledge that, of what the Ten Commandments generally are. Um, and at first, as we look at these, they may seem like there would be some challenges in doing them. But I think in surface value, um, we, we probably say, okay, I, I can probably do this with some good effort. Um, most of us are not making a habit of stealing. Um, most of us are not making a habit of adultery or killing people. Um, so, but what Jesus is calling us is saying, yes, you can, let's, let's do these. These are super important. But in fact, what he's calling us is to do something deeper and harder and even more complex because he's calling us to the highest meaning of what God is um, commanding here, the true intention of these commandments. Um, he's calling us not just to give that lip service and to live a righteous life that everybody sees, kind of that Facebook life, but he's calling us to let the truth of God's law and command go deep into our hearts. So our external actions should come out of a heart that is changed and at peace with God. All right, so now let's go ahead, and I don't think Peggy has a, a, a bookmark for this one, but let's go. Sorry. <laughs> I know, Wait, you're letting I, us down. I would have known. <laughs> Candy bookmarks, you're just a, a sweet lady. All right, so let's go to Matthew 5, 21 through 30. Okay, so Matthew, um, again, the back of, towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament, first book of the New Testament. So Matthew 5, 21 through 30. Would anyone like to read the section on murder and, and the section on adultery? Yeah, would you like to read the section on murder? <laughs> like, I'm the bad student. Anybody want to read if not? You huh? heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters, matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, thank you. Anybody want to read the next section? I will. Adultery? You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay, thank you. Okay, so as we looked at the Ten Commandments, that was the first part of the law that Julie spoke about, if you were here a couple weeks ago. Um, And we know through the generations, and actually starting with the very first generation, of course, knowing how sinful people are, um, the, the heart of what God was getting at began to get distorted. Um, and it was especially um, serious to Jesus and, and to all of us, but he was specifically talking to, to the leaders of, of the temple and the leaders of the people because they were the ones that taught the people. So the leaders were distorting the heart of the law, then they were passing down that distortion to the people and over the generations that just kept happening. Um, so what Jesus is doing in this passage is challenging them and calling them to the true heart of the law, God's true intention of the Ten Commandments. Um, and, and basically, again, it goes back to that external righteousness. Most of us are not adulterers or murderers or stealers. Um, and externally, we look pretty shiny clean, I think. Um, most of us do. Um, but Jesus is most concerned about our hearts. And in this passage, Jesus is shining his truth, which sometimes can be harsh and difficult to look at, but it's still the truth um, on, on their heart. And he points out that um, it is possible to have a sinful heart, but have an externally righteous life. And I was trying to think of examples in society, but then I just felt bad about pointing people out. So just, I think we can all kind of get that someone who looks so perfect on the outside, but then inside is just, there's all sorts of sin and, and things going on. So Jesus is and was concerned with the relationship that the people have with him. Um, And he knows when we rely on our own righteousness, on our own strength, and think we're good enough, um, even in following the rules that the Lord puts down in the Ten Commandments, or maybe that the church puts down um, for us to follow, we are always going to be far, far from satisfactory. We're never going to be enough. Um, And when we rely on our own strength and not his strength, Unfortunately, our limits are exceedingly, um, our efforts are exceedingly limited, um, and it destroys that deepening relationship that we have the opportunity to have with him. So God put the law out there for our obedience and for our protection, but the truth is that the only way to truly follow the law and live within those commands is by relying on Jesus. We're just, we're not good enough, and that's a, that's a hard truth, but we're just not good enough. We need Jesus to, to cover us with his righteousness. So as we, before we jump into these um, scriptures step by step, we need to see that Jesus is teaching, um, again, and not to discourage us, but to encourage us that it is impossible to follow all these commands on our own. But with him, um, we can do it. And it's because God is holy. He has provided, though, he loves us so much, a way for us to receive and achieve that holiness. And that's through Jesus Christ. So no matter how hard we try or how perfect we seem, I think we can all admit that sin is inside of us, um, and the only way to be purified is through Jesus Christ. So in light of this passage, Jesus is telling the listeners and telling us um, that, again, I think Facebook is just a, and I like Facebook, but it's, it's a great example of how everything can look 
perfect on the outside. And my uh, table leader a couple years ago, Jana Miller, she's a dear friend of mine. Um, she's just a hilarious person, but she would always talk about how she'd put like her one time she went to the park with her kids that summer, you know, the rest of the time she was like, ah, like, you know, <laughs> and she'd put on Facebook that one time and they're smiling and happy and clean and like, you know, and made it look like that's her life. And she was always very honest. It was not her life, you know, but that's kind of what we're all up against is this image that we're supposed to do. Um, all right, so God's love was given for our good and for our protection and for us to enjoy communion with him, not to limit us and to abuse us. So that's important as we look at this. This is Jesus. These are strong words that Jesus is using. And, and I had to really wrestle this out with him as I, as I was preparing this lecture. This is, this is tough stuff. Um, so, but he, his intention is never to hurt us or... or um, discourage us. It's always to turn us to repentance and to build us up and to, to come into a deeper relationship with him. So let's go back to in our books, uh, in our books, in our Bibles, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So what is he saying? Next time we're mad at our husbands or next time we're angry, to use that exact word, at our kids, um, or even to someone who's you know, really legitimately done us wrong. There are people in the world that have done us wrong. Are we guilty of murder in our hearts? Um, and it's something that's really important as we study God's word to realize that that we need to look and dig a little deeper sometimes when we see a word that we stumble on. Because uh, what we can think of knowing God and knowing his word is we know God got angry. So does it truly mean that anytime we're angry that we're sinning? That's right. No. We know Jesus got angry. He had a time where he up overturned all the tables in the temple because they were using it in an unholy way. He was legitimately angry. So let's dig a little deeper here to understand what that word anger means. Um, it's important to realize that the Bible was first written, um, and correct me anyone if I'm wrong, I don't, my head was blurry as I was writing this, I was like, I don't, but it's in Aramaic, and it, for, the word spoken was Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke. So that's, that's the language we can know, just a little Bible trivia. And it was later translated into Greek, um, and then years and years later, it got into English. Um, is that right? Is that right? Okay. Uh, it can, so it can be really beneficial if you have time, um, and the internet's a wonderful access to this and commentaries, to, to go back to commentaries or places where people have studied the original Greek language and looked at the definitions of the terms. Because when it's been translated into English, and we know this with any language, but um, there are times where the English language just doesn't capture the word that was originally used in the Greek. Um, so it's really important to go back to that. And this is one of those times. So if we go back to the word that was originally used in Greek, and I was going to tell you the word, but when I got into it, it had all these weird Greek letters in it, so I had no idea how to even say it. So I was like, okay. 
Um, it doesn't actually translate simply into the word English word anger. Um, across the board, the scholars that I read clearly agree that the word here is actually more of the word that means unrighteous anger. So that's really, really important, I think, for our clarity to understand the scripture. And so we do know there are times in the Bible when God was angry or Jesus was angry, but we know that God and Jesus did nothing unrighteous. So what we're talking about here isn't just anger is wrong. We're talking about unrighteous anger. Um, in the back of our book, and I should have written the page down, but it said it defined anger as unrighteous anger, the anger of pride, of vanity, of hatred, of malice and revenge, it's malicious deed, word, look, or thought by which we hurt or offend a fellow human being, and that is a serious offense. Um, Matthew Henry is um, a commentator on the Bible. He's prolific, and I know um, lots of teachers go to him, so I've, I've learned to go to him too. And he, he wrote this. I like, I like what he said. He said, anger is a natural passion. There are cases where anger is lawful and laudable, but it is sinful when it is without cause for no cause, for no good cause, no proportional cause. Without good cause is to gratify our sinful and natural passion and anger and to take revenge with the intent to hurt. So I think that that, that just helps define a little bit. That is um, the kind of anger that we're talking about here. And one more commentary I read, it said, our anger should awaken the offender to repentance and it shouldn't exceed clear bounds. So um, that kind of gives us an idea of that. Any questions or thoughts on that? On the unrighteous anger? Does that... Let's go back to the, let's go back to the verse real quick and um, read it with the words unrighteous anger. Let's see. You have heard it said that... It, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is unrighteously angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And that does it. Jesus is not giving a blanket thing to say, stay angry. That's something we're supposed to work through. But if we experience anger, that is not the sin in itself. So, all right, going on to verse 22. Any, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Okay, so again, we can go to scripture and know Jesus called people fools. So it's clearly, there's something lost in translation a little bit here. I mean, he will say, you fools, um, and he's clearly not being condemned to hell. He was sinless. So what is, what is going on here? Um, as we look at the word raka, it does translate into the words, you fool. When, but it's important to know that raka, that, that word raka in that um, exact instance of using that word is used only once in the entire Bible, and it's right here. So it's not a word. So when Jesus said, you fool, it was an, a whole other meaning, meaning the heart. And I think English must not have a great way of expressing the trueness of the heart. We just kind of um, say the word and it is what it is. Where there are other languages, especially Eastern languages, that tend to do a much better job of, of um, almost poetically giving more of the heart underneath, underneath the words. So this is the only place in the Bible that we find the word raka, and it was a Jewish word of contempt. So if we really look at that, what 
again, Jesus is emphasizing is exactly what he said with the unrighteous anger, that, that our words, our thoughts and our words should not proceed from a place of unrighteous anger or of malice. Um, that it sh- uh, I had read that it was called proud wrath, disdain, or trampling of the spirit. And basically when he says, you fool or raka, we, someone would be condemning another person um, to be abandoned by God. And as, if you say those words, I mean, those are horrible words to say to, to, say to someone, you have been abandoned by God. Um, so it, it really strikes at the heart of what, what Jesus is saying there. Okay, so looking at this and finishing up murder, we can see that anger is not wrong. There are times when anger is useful, and it's given to us um, in hopes that we'll turn um, to repentance by all. And again, we have to go back to the heart that we don't want to speak words or even think words that um, have terrible contempt or disdain. And God does view those words as the same as murder in the heart. Um, I would be surprised if any of us had never sinned in this area. I, if Speak up now because I want to learn from you so much because I know it's something I'm going to battle lifelong. So... Um, but it was very convicting to realize when I, when I do do that, God sees it as murder in my heart. That's, whew, that's not easy. I think he sees it as murder if you just think it too. I, I he knows your mind. That's right. And, oh boy. Yeah. Okay. That's it's right. It's like being, not saying it on the outside when you're an older person, but you, it goes through the head. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. And he provides a way for us to be wiped clean. He provides a way for that to be erased from us. He provides a way, but it is important that we recognize that sin in ourselves and confess and and repent. All right, so verses 23 and 24. Would anyone like to read that one? Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Thank you. So offer your gifts. Um, What he was talking about here was about offering your tithes and your offerings and your sacrifices that were required under the law um, of the old covenant. And the old covenant um, is before Jesus. So we're no longer under the old covenant. We're now under the the new covenant, which is a fulfillment of both covenants, um, but the same is applicable to us. We're not offering animal sacrifices or anything, but we are coming before the Lord and offering our humble hearts to him. Um, so if we go before the Lord and, and we're saying, um, Lord, bless me, or please take care of this for my child, or, or even um, in just praising and worshiping him, but inside our heart is just full of wrath or um, unconfessed sin or um, pride or jealousy or anything that is just, it's not going to be perfect, but anything that is just consuming us, just eating at us, um, then we're, we're not offering God an open heart. We're asking him to bless something that is, that is closed and, and not given to him. So what God is saying in this, what Jesus is saying is, if we go before him and we have those inside, he is saying, okay, girl, let's take care of this first. Let's, 
let's deal with this first. I want to fill your heart. I want to give you the full measure of my blessing and my attentiveness and, and all of that. But we got to take care of this sin. Sin does not get out of the way by itself. It's got to be taken care of. And then he can come and he can bless us and fill us. Um, so what he's saying is if we have wronged someone and we owe them an apology, we need to just go try to take care of it quickly. Even if there's not reconciliation, that doesn't mean necessarily that the relationship is completely restored. But if we have wronged someone and owe them an apology or need to do something to right a wrong situation, he's saying take care of it quickly. Because the sooner, the faster we can do that, then God's saying then we can move on. We can keep moving, heal the situation, heal you, um, and move on together. Then Jesus says on 25 and 26, well, you know what, I'll stop there. Any any thoughts on that? Or a lot of... Um... I thought that was really profound. I'd never read it, mm-hmm. really gotten it before. Mm-hmm. And um, But when I... I looked. I, at first, I was confused. You know, you leave your gift, and then you go, and then you come back, and you do your gift, but you offer your gift the second time because of what you just mm-hmm. <laughs> explained. But I finally yeah. understood it this time. Right. When I read it. Right. Right. I know. I did too. I was like, I oh, I had a new freshness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. All right, verses 25 and 26. Saddle, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Um, and from the, the research that I did on this is that basically what Jesus is saying here um, is that God's law is given for our, our good. It's for our protection. It's not to limit us and confine us and make us mad and, and hinder our freedom. It actually, within the confines of obedience to God, we are more free. He, he wants us to be protected, to have that freedom. And what this part of the scripture um, is, Jesus is saying, is get right before God and then get right before your fellow man. Because if you do things my way, it's not always going to be easy, but it's going to be better, and it's going to be easier. He's saying, if you don't do things my way, settle it up, because here, here's what can pan out, and, and here you're going to end up in jail. Just just settle it. Humble yourself, and let's just settle it. Um, doesn't mean that you're not right. Um, it doesn't mean that there won't be healing that needs to happen, but he's just saying, do it my way, and I'm going to take, take care of things. Um. So what the the other point that I think is going on here is when when Jesus is saying um, let's take care of the sin let's take care of this and I think a lot of us sometimes struggle with the fact that his grace like let's just call that grace that it's it seems easy like really like I I've heard that so many times or asked that question is it really that easy that I just all I have to do is give my heart to Jesus and he's gonna cover it and and take it away and. Um, I was thinking of all of you. I, I, I love the, the diversity we have in this room, and, and so many of you um, have come from Catholic backgrounds, and my husband comes from a Catholic background. And I think what Peggy said last, last week is that different churches get pieces that are profoundly right. You know, different denominations just get profoundly right. And I was thinking of this, that grace is easy. And it brought to mind, like, a Catholic crucifix and, and the image of Jesus on the cross, which is very difficult to, to view and to see. 
But it may seem easy to us, but that's what happened for us to be forgiven. Nothing about that experience on the cross was easy. Nothing about that transfer of guilt away from us and onto him was easy. And that brutality that we can imagine on the cross, that's what it cost. And, and he took it instead of us. So it was a visual I just felt like, okay, we can you know, really gain that from each other in our, our backgrounds. All right, now we're going to turn to adultery. Would anyone like to read verses 27 and 28? <clears throat> you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It, go ahead. Um, that's perfect. We'll stop right there. No, thank you. Okay, so Jesus, again, is going back to the state of the heart. Um, it can look good on the outside, but I think this one, especially in our society right now, is such a just profound problem, you know, with pornography and um, lust. And you just turn on your TV and it's in your face, you know, so um, there's just really an issue of that in our society that that lust is just being spoon fed to us almost and that we've we've got to keep that away from our hearts and our children's hearts. So just a definition of terms, adultery is saying it's unlawful sex outside of marriage, whether practiced by married or unmarried people. So it's just basically sex outside the confines of marriage or um, if you're married outside your partnership with that person. And God's emphasis here is that um, every sexual practice that is immoral in deed is also immoral in look and in thought. So that's kind of back to what you're saying, your thoughts. If you're lusting with your heart or someone is lusting with their heart, we're sinning. And the sin starts in the heart. Um, so it's just something to protect, protect, protect our kids from. That's so... My, our kids especially, but our marriage is everything. So, all right. Um, so let's move to the next part, verses 29 through 30. Anybody want to read that part? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Okay, another just light, fluffy scripture. Like, this is really, this is a tough stop and rough to swallow. Um, and what I came to understand is that Jesus wants this to be rough to swallow. He, he does not want this to be lightened up. Um, too often in biblical times and so much in our society, we kind of mild, make sin mild. We, we see a sin and we're like, eh, it's just cultural. It's just, again, the, the sexual sin every, everywhere we go. Um, we just try to, to lessen it. We excuse it and say that it's not so bad. Um, and it may even, I think all of us probably struggle too, to, um, that we tolerate sin in our own lives because everybody else is doing it or it just doesn't seem like such sin. But what Jesus is saying is that's how bad sin is. It's so bad that if your hand does something or your eye or something or your brain or anything, it really, you are justified, that should be cut off, off of your body. Um, 
but he doesn't want us to do that. No, he does not want us to. And Christians, unfortunately, a few have distorted this and, and hurt themselves. Don't, don't, don't. That's not what he's saying. Um, what he's saying is that when we water down sin, it really also waters down what he does on the cross for us. It, it is that brutal. It is that bad. That's what we deserve. Um, so he is saying we need to distance ourselves from the things. We need to cut off the things that cause us to sin. Um, and, and that's such a personal thing. I think each one of us have different areas of, of, of temptation that are harder. I know I went through a time where I was just kind of attracted to all the magazines at the grocery store. Like, like I didn't buy them, but man, I took my time at the checkout and was reading. And then I realized it was like, this is not... I need to be interacting with the cashier and loving on her. And like, so I force myself to look away. It's hard. I just, it's tempting. But um, that's just one little t- place, you know. Not that all of that's bad. I'm not saying that. But that was for me. For me, that was bad. So he wants us to just put to death um, and cut off those things that lead us into temptation. So, and I'm going a little over here, so I'm going to go go quick. Okay, um, but I just wanted to share kind of personally how God has used some of this this scripture in my life, um, and and it, uh, I think all of us can probably relate at some point in our lives to struggling with self esteem and um, having having to figure out who who we are as we go through this word world. Um, and what we can understand is that the Bible teaches us that the only way to figure out who we truly are, the only way to figure out our true self-esteem is to figure out who we are in relationship to God. Once that clicks into place, that truly God on his throne and us down here, then we can truly start living as he created us to be. Um, and that's, I think that's something that all of us struggle with. Maybe we go weave in and out of that a little bit of understanding that. Um, but that was something that I struggled with just terribly of figuring out, uh, who I was and the self-esteem. Um, I knew God was up here, but I didn't fully understand the relationship here. Um, and so I would go through not times like daily, just, I felt just attacked daily of you're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. You're not, God, God doesn't. You, there's no way God loves you that much. You know, that constant just battery. Um, and I really know that's what Satan wanted to bring me down. He wanted me to believe those lies that I wasn't good enough, that I was unworthy. And I was reading, um, I struggled for years for that, and it, it was just a battle. And no matter how much I tried to replace with truth, it just couldn't get. But I read uh, about Martin Luther, who was part of the Reformation, and I found out he struggled with exactly the same thing, that he felt daily, he felt just battered by, by the enemy, that you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not enough. And Martin Luther um, got to a point where he turned to, to Satan and was like, oh, get out of here. Like, he was just so, like, dismissive. He's like, I'm not going to believe you. He's like, you're right, I'm not good enough, so I'm just going to I'm, I'm not going to believe that. Well, that really struck me. And so um, after reading that, I turned, I, I started to do that. And when I would start to feel that self-battery that, and, and that satanic attack, um, you're not good enough. You're not worthy of God's love. I suddenly would turn and say, you know what? You're right. I'm not. 
I am not good enough. I am not worthy of God's love. But guess what? Jesus knows that, and he loves me anyway. <laughs> and it, I still get goosebumps. That was years ago, and that was this, just this huge turning point for me um, of how, of, of just taking the heart and realizing I'm never going to live up to the commandments. I'm never going to live up to what I, the standard. I'm never going to do enough or be good enough or check enough boxes. But it doesn't matter because God loves me. And, and it's not anything I do. It's everything he does. Mm-hmm. So that was just a real turning point for me. Um, and it sounds kind of almost counterintuitive to what psychology would say is tell yourself how horrible you are. Um, but it was the most freeing thing I ever did in my life, just to admit, yep, I am a complete mess. And, and there, it's wonderful because <laughs> he loves me anyway. So, and that's real love. That's real love. So just wanted to um, share that. And let's see if there's anything else. Um, just the other thing to keep in mind of this is God's message in here um, and Jesus's message is always restoration. It's always love. It's always draw us in. It's always gentle. Um, I tell my kids, if Jesus would not whisper it in your ear, it's not from him. And that doesn't mean he can't be stern in your ear and, hey, knock it off. I don't like what you're doing right now. But if he's not whispering in your ear, it's not him. And to to know that you, we have a God that even when we fail in these areas or any other, that he is there with open arms. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this time together. I just praise you for these beautiful women who seek you, Jesus. And I um, pray that each one of us know that you are there standing with your arms open, wanting us to cast aside sin so that we can be free in Christ. Lord, thank you for the hard, um, just horrible suffering that you did on the cross for us. May we um, just be brave enough to know that you love us, even in our sin, Lord Jesus. Um, May we believe you above anything else. Thank you, Jesus, for this day of love. You are the Father of love. And may we be um, just light in this world uh, to love for you. In your name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you.